Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. that the conversation has done extremely well. So I was even more looking forward to the next time that we were able to do this. And lots of things have actually happened in the world, believe it or not, <laughs> since we last spoke, um, which we can dive into if you're happy to do that. Um, Absolutely. But how much time do you have, just so I'm aware? Uh, maybe, maybe an hour, hour and a half, something like that. Yeah. yeah, cool. We'll, we'll make it happen. And if we don't finish anything, part three, maybe. <laughs> That's if you like this conversation as much as the first. But anyway, um, we won't do a formal intro instead, but I just wanted to start it off by asking you, Jay, since we last spoke, how have you been? How are things in, in your world? Uh, I've been doing well. A lot of uh, a lot of like uh, uh, personal things, actually. My, I sent my my son off to college. Uh, my daughter's getting married. Uh, so there's 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 all kinds of like things to distract me in my own personal life. Uh, on the on the COVID front, um, it's been interesting. Like there's there's been uh, at least in the United States, anyways, a resurgence of of COVID variant phobia. Um, but I don't think that the it's taken off quite so much in the general population as it as uh you know and it's been interesting to watch um a, a lot of people who maybe in previous uh previous years were quite uh, obedient to the to the uh uh you know public health directives uh push back and say look well why are we doing that you know we already had the vaccines we already have immunity we you know what, it's pretty clear that the you know all these all these like restrictions didn't really work. Why why are we doing this? Um, so it's just it's been it's been an interesting time uh, to to, uh, to to just to pay attention to that. So you got personal family things going on for you, and then all throughout all that, you've got this new variant that has somehow sprung up and has caused a lot of people panic. I'm starting to see quite a few more people up here in Queensland wearing masks all around the place, shops, you name it. And I'm going, here we go, as it would seem, yet again. Am, am I just worrying too much, Jay, or is the, the fear necessary at all? Well, I do no, I do think that 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 there is this, you know, there's there are there's a new variant of Omicron floating around. Um, that's true. There will be variants forever. Um, but it, and it's also true that a large part of the population you know, we've been conditioned to fear 
the coming of variants of COVID. All the uh, and uh, for many people, um, I'd say like there's there's people who for whom the, that those COVID uh, those COVID like you know kind of uh, uh, rituals became part of their identity and they missed it. There's there's some part I don't think there's such a large part of people, but I think that's of some of some of the people. And for others, you know, that that it's hard to like when you are conditioned to fear to to like to let that go like but it's 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 um but i i might i don't know my i'm not sure what you're, what you're seeing jay but like i'm seeing is that um a large part of the population is not actually paying attention to that um i think a large part of the population is kind of done with it uh and it's frustrating the people who are a little more covid averse i've noticed the attitude surrounding it has somewhat shifted and a lot of people are going i will not comply if the government chooses to bring back all these mask mandates or force lockdowns, they were talking about that over in the States, believe it or not, in certain areas like New York, I believe, or certain blue States, I think it was. So mask mandates are now in certain institutions and educational uh, bodies. And a lot of people are going on campus. I will not comply. I just won't turn up. <laughs> Forget that as a joke. Like I, you say one minute that we've got to learn to live with it and there shouldn't be this fear associated with it. And you got these other experts I noticed, Jay, that are saying we don't know enough about it. So there is a right, you know, there is a, like people should be concerned is what they're trying to indicate but I don't think that is the right attitude to have in my opinion. Well, I mean, I think, okay. So like, uh, let's try to, let's try to be completely fair to the other side. Let's, let, let's give, let's give the devil his due, if you will. Um, you have a, a, a group of people who believe that COVID is a, is a mass disabling event mm. that induces in a very substantial fraction of the people who get infected, these long COVID symptoms that can lead to just debilitation, exhaustion um and there are even people that floating around saying things like you know it, it, it kills your t-cells in, 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 in a manner analogous to to hiv um huh. now i don't i've looked at this literature and i don't agree with them but but they're you know they're scientists and they're there's scientific disagreement i just i don't see i think and i think most scientists that have looked at this disagree with them on the the, the covid is hiv you know sars-cov-2 is not hiv that's, that seems that seems clear, but there, again, that's a scientific argument that people can have. It's not something you panic the public with unless you have really established it. With HIV, it was very very clear pretty quickly, uh, you know, within within a, within a matter of years that 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 you have these like long HIV like symptoms, these AIDS symptoms associated caused by HIV. Um, you don't really have that uh, here. What you have now, you do have long COVID. That's a real thing. Right, so that's that's that is a legitimate thing. The question is how, what fraction of the population is actually suffering from it in a debilitating way? Is it manageable? Um, and my read on the on the literature is that it's you know there, I think there's like three groups, like people who were once in the ICU because of COVID. It's going to just take them a long time to recover. Yeah, that's just normal uh, ICU. That's not particular to the virus, but just particular to being suffering a debilitating illness, an acute debilitating illness. Um, there are people who uh, did suffer, especially during the early waves 
uh, this like you lost the smell or these, uh, some of these other symptoms that that persisted uh, for for some time. I, in fact, I had that loss of smell when I had COVID in 2021. It, it, for me, it lasted about three weeks. It was a, it was a, it was actually kind of a, a fun thing to regain my sense of smell. It's like you know, oh, that's what apple strudel smells like or whatever. Um, and then um, and so that's that's a legitimate long COVID, but I don't think that that's a very large fraction of the population. And then I think there's a broader part of the population um, who with the in, in the long COVID. Who have like you know they they have like symptoms that are hard to define, and there are a lot of scientists trying to understand it, mm. and I have a lot of sympathy for them, um, but to, to but to but to try to say okay well this is for sure that COVID caused this or there wasn't some other uh, set of things that were happening it's really hard to say and so people like scientists are looking for for instance biomarkers to see can we measure it objectively uh, other ways to manage it. And there's, you know, people are proposing things. I think it's a, it's a time of, of like some, some uncertainty in that area. Um, to, to me, the question is, let, let's, say, let's say all of that is, is like that long COVID is like really, really a a, quite a bad thing. I, I mean, I'm going to, I don't agree with, I just described what I think, but let, let's say, let's grant. Um, the question is, what do you do about that? Do you disrupt society in the way we disrupted society in 2020 and 2021? And even to 2022, in order to avoid it, mm. and the problem is that the the disruption of society didn't prevent people from getting it. It just caused harms. Yeah. So, what what then is the purpose of it, especially in a in a in an environment where you know the vaccines are, are readily available? Many you know, people, you know, most people have had had a one, two, three doses, um, and more importantly, most people in the population have had COVID and recovered. Which, uh, by all like indications, provides pretty substantial protection um, the next time you get it. And if it causes long COVID, well, then you know it's like you know the, the the water is coming in. Do you do you like throw yourself to drown before the water comes in? I mean, that I just I don't think the water is coming in. Mm. I think the tide has already came come in and washed over us, and we're now no longer COVID immune or no COVID naive, right? We have had COVID and recovered most of us. So I think I think that there's just like um, a lot of worry left over from the from the from the from the pandemic caused by the the, the fear mongering and whatnot during the pandemic, and it just has to play itself out through society. What goes on when someone actually gets long COVID? Like, why is it that some people get it, meanwhile others don't? I don't I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think anyone really huh. knows the answer to that question. Right. It, it, and it, that was, so like I said, there's not a biomarker that is like, you know, blood, blood, uh, something in your blood or some other measure that distinguishes somebody from who's likely to get it from who's un unlikely to get it, or even measures it objectively. A lot of it is like subjective symptoms of fatigue. Um, you know, it's actually very similar in some ways to the this uh, syndrome of, of uh, 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 chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm. Right, it has some, some some versions of long COVID have some characteristics that look like that, um, and we don't know anything. We don't really know much about that either, right? So it's just and and you know, there's a lot of there are a lot of people that have it uh, that that are like that have that kind of profile. With what what we, I don't even know what, what to say about that profile because there's no objective biomarker that I'm convinced by, um, yeah. and, and I don't. So I don't. I I think it's one of these things where like, you know, it's a complicated syndrome with and there are different people in it it's a very heterogeneous syndrome with like different causes for different things within it it may not even be a single syndrome 
I don't believe that COVID infection is the primary reason for much of it, but it might be. Maybe there's another virus. Maybe there's another. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, psychological. Yeah, there's psychological aspects to it. There's like all kinds of things that potentially could explain it. It's a matter of like we don't know. But I think a lot of it is, um, you know, you have communities of people, um, you know, trying to remind people of how the danger of COVID is. Of danger of COVID is. I think a lot of that stokes people's stokes people's fears. Um, I, I just I think that the that the 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 sort of compassionate way to deal with it is to care for the people who really have uh, symptoms that are objectively, you know, debilitating. I don't think that, yeah. that there's a very large fraction of the population. Uh, work toward developing good science and good, uh, you know, uh, uh, care protocols for them. And for the rest of the population, do not fear monger, because I think that that feeds into a lot of the, a lot of the problems. Yeah, fear mongering, I have noticed, is on the rise, especially with government officials and there was I, I was reading the other day i think it was in the new york post about how the rates of hospitalization are starting to increase and a lot of the professionals are saying that we've got to watch the increase of host, rates of hospitalization to know what to do with the rest of the population and i'm going so what are you going to do what and they're going we don't actually know but it could mean snap lockdowns it could mean x y and z so they're just trying to cause people to panic in that sense and i'm going well we know that it didn't work and a lot of news outlets and and media organizations have since published uh information on why it didn't work and the rates of infections didn't go down during the lockdowns they still didn't go down when people got the jab so what is this what is this the uh the solution i guess moving forward if you've got this new variant that we've said hey we've just got to learn to live with it the virus is going to continue to mutate over a period of time like is the solution then that we just continue to jab ourselves for the rest of our lives is that sort of the right course of action you think I mean, that's the CDC, uh, well, the former former White House uh, COVID advisor, Shi Shah, that's essentially his solution uh, to take annual COVID boosters for the rest of your life. You know, I, I'm not saying that that isn't the solution. I, I don't think it, pro it's very likely that it's not the solution. It seems unlikely, if I should be stronger, I think it's very unlikely that is the solution. Mm. But if someone that's going to say that from a position of authority should have very strong evidence in favor of that before they say it, or certainly if you're going to believe them, they should have very strong evidence. That strong evidence should come in the form of a randomized trial, yeah. a large randomized trial of the sort that uh, was conducted for the first COVID vaccines. And we don't have that. They haven't asked for that. The regulatory authorities haven't asked for that. That evidence is not in existence. And so it's really just, it's, I have to say, Jay, it's impossible to answer you with evidence that doesn't exist, that should exist if the regulatory regulators were doing their job. Um, uh, now, uh, you know, I can I can based on the in, incomplete evidence I see around on the in the literature, uh, what I can I can make my best uh, sort of uh, kind of a you know expert judgment on this, and I'd say that they, that it is unlikely that we're going to need jabs over and over and over again every single year. My view of the literature on immunity is that once you've had COVID and recovered you have excellent immunity that you've trained your body to manage getting infected again without vastly overreacting. 
it's likely that the next time you get it will be less severe. It's not guaranteed, but it's likely. Yeah. Um, and uh, less likely to produce hospitalization, less likely, less likely to kill you the second time you get it because you and now you can get it a second time. I, you know, well, I've had it twice. Um, so the immunity isn't like that. It's not sterilizing in the sense that it permanently means you can never get it. You, the next time there's a variant that evades um, the, the 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 antibodies then you you that you have, you will might get it again. Mm. But it is not the fearful thing that it was in 2020. What do you think? Or oh, here's my curiosity surrounding this. So people, a vast majority of people have got at least two jabs, sometimes three. What would be the result of getting, say, more than five or six of the the COVID jab? They keep reintroducing and saying that it's safe and it's effective, but then people still end up getting COVID. Is that weakening the immune system, you think, or is it actually helping it if you're just continuing to put this into your body, let's say? So that, again, this, it's very difficult to answer the question, Jay, without a randomized trial. I'm making you think today, Jay. <laughs> well, it's not a question of thinking. I was like, it's just, what do you, it's hard for someone that's put in a position like me because I rely on good evidence in order to answer the questions like that, honestly, and with uh, with some degree of likelihood of being right. And that evidence just isn't in existence, right? There is not such a randomized trial to ask what happens to people after their fifth jab versus their fourth jab. Right. There's a lot of a lot of like things like that where you would like to have good randomized evidence and there just isn't. Mm. Um, and yet I see experts going around very confidently saying, yeah, go get your nth jab um, w- without any evidence. Now, I also see experts saying like, if you get your nth jab, you're going to deplete your immune function and all that. Uh, again, it's 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 very, very it's the, These are the kind of fights in science that happen when there isn't excellent evidence to resolve questions like this. And so I'd, I'd say, like, I mean, I, I personally, I just tell you personally, I don't feel any need to get another jab. Like the, the first time I got COVID was after two jabs. And, um, I, you know, it wasn't fun. <laughs> I lost my sense of smell. Um, you know, but, and, uh, but, but then the second time I got COVID, uh, you know, about a year and some later, it, it, it was pretty, you know, it was, it was a cold. It was, less, it was less, less, it was just about, it was, you know, I've, I've had worse colds. Um, I don't have any long COVID symptoms that I can discern. Um, and the evidence in the literature is, I, I just don't see any, any convincing evidence that t- my T cells are depleted. So the next time I'm getting more and more, Ill- I'm not getting more and more illnesses. Now I'm an N of one <laughs> and one should not infer anything from an N of one. All right. Uh, so, uh, so, so I have to like, then look at the literature and try to make my best guess on on and unfortunately it's a guess because like the literature is not complete um we don't have a randomized trial to answer these kinds of key these these key these key questions but my my reading of that literature my best judgment on the on the on what what i believe to be uh uh you know sort of uh, reliable is that it's my experience is not atypical in fact it's the typical experience most people have had covid and recovered the next time they get it it's going to be milder like you, Jay, I got COVID the first time after my second jab. And I'm not entirely sure why that was the case because I was exposed during the entire pandemic to a lot of people that actually got infected with Delta or even Omicron. 
and I didn't get it. And then lo and behold, I ended up getting it not once, but three times, believe it or not, after my second jab. So my theory behind that was my immune system just didn't agree with the vaccine and it depleted it enormously and it made it even more susceptible or who knows, like this is probably going to be a conspiracy theory for you, Jay. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's like another possibility is that, is that you, for whatever reason, Omicron evaded the immunity that you had previously. Mm. You know, if you were exposed before, you know, it's, and, and, it's not, and it may be particular to you. It's just a thousand possibilities. Yeah. Jay. And, the pro and the problem is like, you can't exclude these stories until you have solid scientific evidence. Uh, the scandal is that our regulatory bodies and our regulatory agencies have not demanded from these pharmaceutical companies that are making you know billions and billions of dollars off these jabs uh, excellent, definitive scientific evidence in the form of randomized trials before they make these decisions about recommending to the population at large to take these things. Why do you think that is the case, though? Why is it more? that they won't like the results that will come back or they don't necessarily need to do all these randomized trials. Okay. So again, let's, let's give the devil his due. So I say what yep. they, what, what they say, right? So what they say is that, is that this is like the flu in the sense that every year we update the flu vaccine without a randomized trial. Uh, actually in the Northern hemisphere, what we do is we look at, we look to you guys. Uh, and see the strain of the flu that's floating around Oz for uh, in in your in your winter, our summer, and based on that, we devise the the sort of the the the, the flu vaccine for the next season for the northern hemisphere. Okay, uh, and sometimes we guess wrong. Sometimes the 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 variant of the flu that's floating around in the southern hemisphere isn't the one that becomes prevalent in the winter up here or mm -hmm. during your summer. And uh, that means that more people get the flu. And sometimes we guess right. And that means fewer people get the flu because we, we guessed right with the, the vaccine. Um, the key thing there is that, and, and so the people reason by analogy, they say, okay, well, if that's the right process for the flu, well, why can't we use this same process for the COVID vaccine? Right? We don't, we don't need, a, we're not requiring the flu vaccine manufacturers to run a randomized trial every year when they update the flu. They just they they devise it based on this like this process of looking at the antigen that's floating around um, the you know the, the southern hemisphere. Well, the problem with that reasoning is that the flu vaccine has a long track record, and uh, I mean and and really the most important thing is that long track record of safety. Right, the original versions of the flu vaccines, like the one in 1976, caused some cases of Guillain-Barré syndrome, a very serious uh, condition, um, and. Uh, but the, there, there have been improvements to the flu vaccine such that the rates of those very, very serious outcomes are very, 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 very low. I don't know if I used enough varies. Uh, I could use more varies. Um, it's, it's low. And so the, and they're using this, the traditional same process for developing the flu vaccine every year. And so if they get it wrong, it's because the efficacy of the vaccine will be low, but we're not worried about harming people with the vaccine, at least at, at, at any significant rate at all, because of this long track record. Well, with this new vaccine technologies that we've used for COVID, when you can't make that argument, it's a different platform. The vaccine adverse reporting has been much higher. We know for sure that, for instance, young men have higher rates of myocarditis 
I think unacceptably high rates of myocarditis when they take this mRNA vaccine. Um, you know, I don't, you, you can argue with me about the number. I'm willing to take any number between one and three thousand and one and fifteen thousand. You know, whatever. But the, whatever that number is, anywhere in that range is un, unacceptably high to recommend for young men to take a vaccine for, when the benefit to young men from taking that same vaccine is very low, since mm. the, the harm from COVID. The, rate, the risk of dying from COVID is very, very low for the young men. So, you know, you have a vaccine platform with, with without decades of experience with indicators of side effects. Uh, I mean, there's there's more I could talk about the side effects, but there are the, the, the existence of them is, not, is, I think, you know, completely everyone agrees. In that setting, I think it, it's not right to assume that the update this booster automatically is going to be safe. And, you know, we, and we don't know if it's going to be effective because, you know, by the time the booster is out, uh, the variant may have changed. It's prevalent in the population, right? So you just don't have the same argument you can make with the flu vaccine and just import it over. And a lot of the regulatory agencies are doing exactly that. Yeah. Now that seems to me like one, uh, now one of two explanations. One is that there's a, just an error. They're just thinking about it wrong. That's probably the most likely one, um, but uh, you know that that uh, and, I, and and I tend to lean toward that. But the other is that a lot of these people say, and I think there's good evidence that these regulatory agencies are acting like they're captured by the pharmaceutical companies that make these vaccines. The best vaccine salespeople, the best pharmaceutical salespeople I've ever seen in my life, are the is the governments that have pushed these COVID vaccines during the pandemic. Mm. They put ads on TV. They they. Uh, Propagandize far beyond what the evidence says. Uh, they 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 they're they're very very effective at getting people to take the vaccine. Um, and so, I, like, why would that be? Normally, you want pharmaceutical companies to like be the the ones that are selling their products, not uh, not the government. Mm. You certainly don't want regulators whose job it is to assess the safety and efficacy of uh, products like the vaccine to become their primary salespeople. But unfortunately, that's what we've had during the pandemic. It seems as if if the government wants it nowadays, the government gets it. I mean, we've got the voice to parliament here in Australia, which is not a, not a lot of Australians actually know what the hell it actually is. And uh, but even during the whole COVID pandemic, again, the government was like, "If you want your freedom, then you must do this." And everyone's going, well, we don't have a choice. You're not giving us a choice here. And on, on equal terms with the voice to parliament, the way they're marketing it is very similar to what they did with the whole, you know, COVID pandemic, the ads, they're spending millions of dollars on all this advertising to try and persuade people on one particular side, not the other side. You won't see the government on the no campaign, for example, on, on the voice of parliament, and you won't see the government again with the don't get the jab kind of marketing material. You won't see any of that, which is like surprising to me because I thought the government was meant to be for the people, you know, like. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't, I've said, I don't know much about the voice of the parliament, but I'll say a couple of things about uh, that I've observed recently in Australian politics that have concerned me. Yeah. Um, one is apparently there's this bill, this misinformation bill, floating around. Yeah. Uh, that essentially looks to me like a, a severe restriction on the rights of free speech of Australians. 
because who's going to decide what's misinformation? Mm. There'll be government officials that have an interest to make sure that they're not criticized yep. by outside voices. And they will use their tremendous power under this bill essentially to, to, uh, to, to excommunicate from the public square people who disagree with them. I don't see how it's compatible with democracy. Um, and then the second thing that's concerned me is, uh, you know, the, 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 I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. Your, 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 your prime minister, Albanese, Albanese, uh, how do you We call him? him Albo. Albo. Okay. Actually, <laughs> I, I probably should figure out how to actually pronounce it. Albanese, it. Albanese is the legitimate name, but everyone Albanese. just goes Albo. Australians shorten everything, Jay. Can you give me two <laughs> seconds? I've got to open the door for my dog. Oh, sure thing. Sorry about that, Jay. She's been banging down the door. That's a good <laughs> you can cut that out. And when we, uh, we, uh, anyway, so yeah, so the Albanese government, when it was elected, when they were elected, they promised a COVID commission to do an honest assessment of the COVID response in Australia. And from what I can tell, they have violated that promise. They've worked hard in Parliament to make sure that such a commission does not occur, does not happen. Um, a lot of the politicians that are still in power in, in Australia, uh, not all of them, but, but were in power during the COVID pandemic. Dan Andrews, for instance, comes to mind. Okay. They have a lot to lose from, I think, an honest COVID commission. Because I don't think that they're going to come out looking very good. Uh, and, and I think that that, that is, maybe I'm being too cynical, but my view that that is motivating the delay in, in forming such a... But I think the Australian people deserve to know honestly know were the decisions made by public health officials and by the government right did they harm people unnecessarily did they work to protect australians from from the harms of covid uh what were the were the, were the are there, is there evidence of of uh you know corruption in in funding decisions for who you know for who got contracts uh the you know for instance the the, the pharma contracts uh, the testing contracts so on uh, the test and trace procedures were there human rights violations during the lockdowns we already know of one at least I've, at least i've seen there was a court case in melbourne of uh, people living in public housing that were locked into their apartments for weeks um and uh the a court i think the in uh, just ruled that uh that that they that it was a mass civil rights it was a, a violation and awarded that each resident i think 2200 uh, australian dollars in compens compensation, I think these are all issues that are vitally important. Why? Why did the the uh, the campaign to vaccinate the Australian population take so long? Mm. I mean, especially it was, and it's, this is salient because during that time, there were hundreds of days of lockdown in places like Melbourne, right? That might have been avoided had the the campaigns been started earlier. Um, so you have like a lot of like really important questions that the the Australian public deserves an answer to. That Albo uh, uh, to 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 uh, is is uh, promised in his election campaign that he would look into that he would commission a royal commission um, to look into these matters and and now they're rejecting they're 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 stonewalling it it's not right uh, and I'm and I'm quite disappointed in the in the, uh, the Albo government for for not carrying through with that promise. There's a lot of issues and a lot of concerns with the Albanese government at the moment and like you said with the misinformation or disinformation bill surprisingly or not really surprisingly the woman that introduced that michelle rollins was the member of the suburb that i used to live in and she's been trying to work with 
the council there to try and introduce this new cell tower to help people's reception because the reception was terrible. She did absolutely nothing for years, absolutely nothing. And her only claim to fame now is introducing this really harmful and really dangerous bill. Why? Because apparently some young kids claimed that they were being bullied online from school, which is not a entirely governmental issue. It's a school body issue to deal with. You don't go to every other Australian and go, we're going to watch and we're going to manage and we're going to dictate everything you say online, because if that's the case, and if the bill gets introduced, uh, Jay, you and I probably won't be able to have this conversation because the government will see it and go, we're going to classify this as disinformation because you're talking negatively or you're talking scientifically about the vaccine and about COVID and about what the government didn't do and, and should have done but chose not to. And you can't speak. You don't have any freedom to move around anymore with any of these sort of conversations. So a lot of Australians, they're going, we've got to fight for this, but there's a vast majority of them are going, oh, she'll be right, whatever. Well, it's not going to affect me. So it's a really interesting time, but it's also a dangerous time at, at, at that. But it also doesn't shock me at the fact that you know, the government is corrupt. <laughs> it just, no one is telling in, in positions of power at the moment, nobody's telling the truth. They promise one thing, but they do something else because power, corruption, money. I mean, even in Melbourne, I think Moderna got a lifetime contract. What is it? What is it? Like they were able to uh, set up a massive factory or, or warehouse, whatever it was, and supply Victorians with this Moderna vaccine for who knows how long. It's, and it was government supplied. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, you know, I think, I think there are a lot of really important questions, both about good governance, about public health decision-making, about scientific decision, uh, scientific advice the government received regarding the management of the pandemic. It is absolutely uh, irresponsible of the, uh, of the Albanese government to stonewall their promise they made during the election of answering those questions. I, I, I just, it just seems like so obvious. I, I, I'm, um, I think, I expect the Australian people will want answers to these questions. It would surprise me that they would not want them. I mean, that's partly why they elected this government. Right, because the, the the previous government, I think they partly rejected because of pandemic mismanagement is my take. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's in the interest of every Australian to have this honest assessment. Well, it's also the fact that the government that's in position of power at the moment, no one's really holding them accountable. So they they're able to do whatever they want to do, and the Australian public is going, "Oh, sure, by all means." And the few people that are actually saying, no, we've got to hold you accountable to your promise. You made it. So actually stay and keep to it. Like those voices are drowned out by these other people that are going, we love you, Albo. We love everything you're doing. Everything is, is all fine and dandy. Meanwhile, the economy's shocking. I mean, everyone's feeling it. Like that's the problem, but they're too scared now, thanks to COVID and lockdowns because of censorship 
they're too scared to speak up, which is a, a sad thing, in my opinion. So, yeah, well, very I, interesting I mean, times. I, it's a it's a dark time for the, the democracies of the world. I think the the COVID um, era ushered in uh, unprecedented powers, but on the part of governments to suppress speech, to control uh, political narratives, to, uh, to to deploy propaganda and, and fear um, that normal in normal times would never have been legitimately used in dem democratic societies. And uh, you know, governments have, have maybe realized that they can do that and get away with it. And I guess we'll see. We will indeed, my friend. We will indeed. Uh, I wanted to shift this conversation from COVID to asking you about you're a man of faith. And I wanted to speak about your actual personal story because sadly you didn't get a chance on uh, Lex Friedman's podcast to expand upon it. And I, I wanted to give you that that time and that space to do that. And I'm very curious in learning more about who is Jay Bhattacharya. Uh, so Jay, please, like, where were you born? We you, Did you grow up in a Christian family? And what got you interested in science? Okay, so I, I haven't, haven't told the story very much uh, in public before, Jay. So you, this is you, again. You are now asking me questions that people, don't, other people, have not asked me to do. So I'll just. Uh, uh, but uh, so, and I don't know how many people really be interested in my my own personal story. But I'll, I'll just you know, since you're asking me, I'll tell you. Thank you. Uh, uh, I um, so I I was born in India into a Hindu family, a Hindu Brahmin Hindu family, in Calcutta. Um, and uh, my parents, my dad uh, was an electrical engineer. He moved to the U.S., won the visa lottery when I was four. And so I came to the United States when I was four. Uh, still Hindu, right? By, I mean, it's Hindu family. But I, I think um, uh, for me growing up uh, in a Hindu family, and, and I was Hindu until I was 18, um, it didn't, I didn't know really what it meant. It meant to me... Uh, you know, we'd, we'd have these fantastic festivals where people would have this great food with colorful costumes. It meant, uh, you know, it meant like a lot of really neat people. Um, but it was like, a, if, if you will, for, for those who are Christians, it was like a Christmas and Easter kind of Hinduism. It, it was it was the festivals, right? It didn't, it didn't, it didn't, I didn't really understand very much about it. I did know that my parents were were very serious about their, their devotion to God. I knew there was a God. Um, and I always felt his presence, mm. even when I was little. Um, I didn't know really who he was. Uh, when I was 13, my dad had a heart attack uh, and um, he almost died of his heart attack. My mom, uh, my entire family, his life was disrupted. My mom um, was you know, quite distraught, of course. Uh, there was a Christian missionary in a Baptist church nearby where we lived in Southern California, who had a heart for immigrant communities. And she reached out to my mom, helped her through this very difficult time, um, and invited my mom to go to church. And by, then when my dad got better, invited my dad to go to church. Um, and um, they both accepted Christ when I was in my teens. Um, I, I We came to church with them because they were like, you know, Jay, you have to come to church because I'm a kid. And I could have to do what they say. Um, and I didn't I have to say, I was like very, I was, I, I, I was mystified by it. I didn't understand what they were saying. Um, it didn't make sense, especially in light. I mean, I was 
um, I don't mean to brag, but I was like really interested and good at math and sciences. Um, and I had this like, um, this idea that math and sciences were like inconsistent with faith. Mm. I still, like I said, I thought God, God, I thought God was real, but I didn't like God. And then like math and science is like, okay, uh, you, you put above, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't understand what the claims of the Christian faith were, even though I was going to church. It just seemed like I, I just didn't, it didn't connect with me. And I have to say, I, and you know, I, I think if you knew me as a kid, you wouldn't say I was a, a, a bad guy, but I, I just, like, the way that I would look at people and the world it really elevated people's minds above everything else about them. I would look and say, okay, well, that person's smart, but it's not just that person's smart and, and therefore worth interacting with. It was because they're smart, they're, 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 they're good. Mm. It, I inflated in my head. I didn't, it's not that I treated people who I didn't think was smart as bad, but like I just, there was this moral tinge that I think sometimes happens when people have a lot of pride in a particular thing, right? If you're a good singer, maybe you think sing, well, people who can sing are good and people who can't sing are bad, I don't know. But the, for me, it was it was like science and math, right? Are you good at science and math? You are, you're worth a worthwhile person. If you're not, well, uh, now I didn't, again, if you talked to me, I wouldn't have ever verbalized that. I, I knew, again, deep deep down that that was not, not really right, but I didn't, hadn't really rejected it. Uh, when I was 18, I had this spiritual experience. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. I met, I mean, I met, I met Christ, mm. where I felt this deep conviction that 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 idea that I had about what was the path to righteousness was really deeply wrong. That I that, that there was something wrong with me in in thinking that way. In the Christian language, you say like I was convicted of of my sin, of pride. Yeah, and uh, my life changed. Like my life just fundamentally changed after that. Um, I still didn't know what the real claims of the Christian religion were when I was 18, but I knew that I had to pursue it. Um, and I spent the last 37 years trying to figure out what the heck happened to me, really, you know, when I was 18. Um, so that's how that's how I became Christian. Does it make more sense to you at the age you are now and with the experiences that you've been able to have more than when you were 18? I mean, I think there's some there's some element of mystery in all, all of this. Like, if you know, anyone tells you it's purely rational, I think can't be right. Yeah. Right? That's not my. It's not the experience of anyone who's serious in faith, I believe. But at the same time, who's anyone who tells you it's purely irrational is also not right. They haven't really understood it. Um, and I think that that's true for any faith. You should, if, like, if you're an atheist, it's the same way. There's an element of rationality and element of irrationality to it. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, I think I have I've made a lot more sense of it. Uh, I mean, I now know what the claims of the Christian religion are, for instance, you know, the, that, that, that sense of sin comes with this sense of despair. What can I do about it? Uh, you know, how can I, how, how can I be better? And the answer is like, you can't by yourself be better. It, you know, it's a gift of God. It's a grace from above that allows me to, uh, to, to, to have that, those sins washed away, um, to then become pos possible for me to develop into the kind of person that I really meant to be. Right, that that uh, you know, the, the, again, in Christian language, that God put me on this earth to be, to find my purpose, and that's a walk. It's a long, never-ending walk. Have and, you had any? Uh, sorry, you go. Oh no, go ahead. I was just going to ask you, Jay. Have you had any crisis of faith along the journey as well? I haven't actually. 
Actually, I have to say, I mean, I've read people who've had crises of faith. I think the closest I might have come, if I was going to have one, would have been during the pandemic. Because um, I had a sense of where my life was supposed to be, and what I was, who I was and what I was about. And the pandemic overturned that in many ways. Um, but through that whole pandemic, I never felt that my sense of purpose actually changed. In fact, it, it deepened. Like, I, like I've, been, I've been put here for some purpose. That, that sense never went away during the pandemic. So I, I guess I'd say I should say no to that. I mean, I think partly these kinds of like crises of faith come from unrealistic expectations about what to, what to gain from a walk with God. You're not gaining money. You're not gaining power. You're not gaining, um, you're not even gaining like, you know, I mean, it, 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 you're, you're not getting any assurance that you're going to have an easy life. In fact, the promise is the opposite. The promise is you're going to be challenged in ways that fundamentally transform you to the, the kind of person that God meant you to be. And that's not going to be comfortable, right? That's what the, what the saying, Christian saying is like, you know, Christ says, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, just listen to that. Like, really, do I want to do that? Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise, what you are is just you're stuck with in, a, in, in the old version of you that's not really who you're supposed to be, that your purpose is not. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess I wouldn't say I have a crisis. I, I do know I have a deeper sense of my reliance on God for so many things. Um, um, but I don't. I think um, I, when I say that, I say that loud, and people are going to say, oh, "They're going to roll their eyes." But I don't know what to tell you other than that's my that's my my own personal lived experience, if you will. Um, and I can't imagine my life without it. Um, it it's it, in the in the scientific realm. I think you have to reason scientifically. You have to reason um, from the premise that all causes are material causes, right? Because it's not a valid argument to say, oh, well, there's a spiritual element that then, then caused this material thing to change in this particular way. Uh, I think that that's invalid science. So you can reason with everybody in the scientific way, even who, people who don't share your faith or idea of who God is, because we all start from that same premise that only arguments from material reality are correct or are, are not correct or admissible. Yeah. I think it's a very valuable way to reason. And you can see from the history of the last 500 years of the enlightenment that it produces tremendous advances in our knowledge of the material world. Um, and I, 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 so I don't feel any sense that, that my, the way that I reason scientifically is at, at all at odds with this. It's a science is a tool, a really valuable, beautiful tool for helping us understand the way the world works. But it's not the only tool, I think, that is available to me for the things I, that I think are even are most vital. Right? Who should I love? How should I love? What sacrifice should I should I make? What is my purpose in life? Those are not scientific questions fundamentally. Those are not material questions fundamentally. And to expect science to answer those questions, those are the most important questions of my existence, um, is, is, I think, would be foolish to me. I don't think, by the way, I should be clear, I don't even think anyone uses science to answer those questions. Mm. They try to, sometimes. I don't think, well, science is not developed for that. Science is a, is, a, it's, is, a, is a process for understanding how a material world works, a very powerful one. But that process doesn't love you back. <laughs> It, it doesn't answer the question of, of, is it right to be good? You know, what does it mean to be good? You know, yeah. what, what, I mean, I think those, those are, those are, those questions are 
are, are beyond science. I've asked that. I've asked this question to so many people, and I love getting a variety of different answers because it's either yes or no. But diving into the no side as well as the yes is why people think yes, humans are inherently good. What does it actually look like? Can you please elaborate? Can you please explain and expand on that? But as Christians, we know that we've got a sin problem, which means that we are not inherently good. We've got a issue with the inherentness of sin. It's a sin problem. We've got to deal with that sin. But even though we have repented of that sin and asked Christ to wash us and to cleanse us, it does not mean that we are now inherently good. It still means we've got a sin problem because we sin every single day and we've got to repent and, and ask Christ for forgiveness. Now it just becomes of, I know that I've got the goodness of God residing within me, which enables me to then work and try and be as good as I possibly can to others and to people and you, you name it, like even to myself, like I've got to be nice and good to, to me and I've got to be good to you because I want to be that, but also because God desires me to be that if I say that I am a Christian. So I think for Christians, understanding that it makes a lot more sense, but for non-Christians, but even then, like I've noticed that even a lot of non-Christians say that they don't believe that humans are inherently good and their reasoning behind that is also interesting as well. Sorry, Joe, I think I'm rambling. <laughs> No, um, I, it's, really, it's interesting. Um, so, I, like, first, first on the question of are people good? I, I think it's one of the like. There's, there's uh, some claims in Christianity that are not amenable to empirical, uh, material, empirical validation. Uh, but are people sinful? That's one of the things where, like, that that you can look at the world and ask: Is the world consistent with that idea? Is the empirical evidence consistent with that idea? I just don't see how you can look at the world and not think it is. Right there, are, everywhere you look, there's the concept. Like there's there's people doing evil to others, um, people that are greedy, that are uh, that 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 are willing to like harm others for their own benefit. There are people that are, um, you know, it's it's not it's not like uh, that are not as loving as they ought to be. Um, you know, I think that that is an empirical reality, and uh, a, a great thing about Christianity is that it that it makes that empirical prediction and. <laughs> And it's true in spades, I believe. Mm. Um, and so that what that means then is like, okay, if the world is like this, is the world good? Is that can the world be good? Was is there any hope for the world? Right. So that's um, that that's that's the real question. And so I think, um, yeah, I, I have to say, like, if you compare Christians and non-Christians, I actually don't see any evidence that Christians are more moral than non-Christians. Yeah, inherently, I don't see any evidence of that at all. I I think there are a lot of tremendously kind loving non-christians in my own family mm. uh and i don't i don't so i don't think the issue is one of self-improvement that is so that's not the crux of the reason to become to, to, to be christian like you can ask this question like would i be less loving if i weren't christian i think the answer to that is yes but like am i am i more loving than my 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 hindu cousins and the answer is probably not i mean i just you know because i they're they're loving people yeah. Um, so, so the question then is like, what's it for? All I, all I can tell you, I mean, it sounds like you have the same walk. It's like, it's, it's my purpose. It's what I'm put on this earth for. I discover that 
through my relationship with God. And that can only happen when I've accepted him in that walk. Um, and that can only happen when he's forgiven me for the for the for the the, the sins I have, for the lack of loving, the, my inability to love. Um, mm -hmm. He's made me to love others, to love my love my neighbors. It's my, he's made me to consider many, many, many people my neighbors that I would otherwise never consider my neighbors. And he's made me to love them. And to understand how I'm to love them, well, that's a walk that's only that can only come from, um, I think, this this act of grace. You can only start that walk with this act of grace, I think, um, at least for me. I think that people do have natively a very different capacity. Some people are born natively with more capacity to love than others. That's I've seen that in my life. I'm sure that everyone's seen that. Um, and again, it's not going to be Christian or non-Christian. But I can say is like as a Christian, I have developed that capacity to love greatly as a result of my walk. I've learned what it means to love. Uh, and I don't know how else it would have been possible for me to have that. You bring up a really important point. I think it may be more of a philosophical point too on, on the subject of goodness or just being good because you did point out that there are a lot of Christians that aren't necessarily good, even though they should be good considering that they know the goodness of God, but they've chosen otherwise. And then you've got non-Christians that don't know, or they may know, but they don't believe it that are really good. And they treat others like with tremendous kindness and you just see the goodness within them. And now I'm just going, well, who dictates whether or not somebody is good or bad? Like what goes on in that sphere? <laughs> is it more a case of a person has the information and the knowledge and they've made that conscious choice? Or is it more the case of circumstance? Maybe uh, I'm just trying to figure it out. Well, like, I think the part, part of the question is like, what's the purpose of uh, of of a, of a Christian walk of faith? Mm. And if the if it's like some self help thing, I'm, it's going to make me good. I think that's just a mistake. It's a category error. Like the purpose of the walk isn't to make you good. Yeah. It in fact the purpose of the walk the, the walk starts with god reckoning you reckoning you as good even though you are sinful right that's what grace is yeah even though you're sinful you're, so it's, it doesn't make you good it just god treats you as if you were good and then in response you 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 work toward being more loving the 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 purpose of the walk is this reconciliation the purpose of the of the of the, the faith is reconciliation with God so that you can become uh, who you're meant to be, this being that loves your neighbor as yourself, mm. the being that, that's forgiving of others. These are, these are not, these are not like, um, you know, accidental things like, and so, and, and you know, it's, it's, these are things that are like the, the, the purpose of the faith is the reconciliation. It's the purpose of the faith isn't to become good. You may become good as or or better as a consequence of that walk, but that's not the primary purpose of it. Um, and, I mean, I hope that you become good. I mean, I hope I become you know more more moral, more loving as a consequence of it. Um, but the primary purpose is reconciliation. Hmm. 
It's just making me think even more. Like you, you explained it a lot better than what I did. <laughs> uh, or I tried to explain it, but you just, you just did a much better job of expanding well, on, think, I mean, on I think, uh, I'll tell you, Jay, I think um, the problem is like, again, an empirical one, right? So like you're trying to talk to, you talk, you try to talk to folks who don't believe and you, and you, and you, it's very tempting to make promises that you can't keep that aren't true. So, so you have to ask yourself, what, what can I say that's, that I know is true? Yeah. I know for certain. And, and, you know, I think if you look at the Orthodox Christian faith, it's, or I don't mean Orthodox in the sense of like a sect, like the Orthodox sect, I mean, just like Orthodox, meaning like what most Christians through history really believe, like the core nut of it. It's what I said. It's like, this is, a, it's a, this is an act of grace by God that reckons me as not sinful, even though I am. And that act of grace out of, out of gratitude from, for that act of grace, I'm, ne I'm now going to try, I'm going to follow him. Yeah. And that means I may have to sacrifice. That may, may, may mean I have to like, you know, may, people may actually think I'm not good because I'm trying to act loving. Mm. This happened during the pandemic to me. Like I'm, I'm like trying to, I'm, I, my, I was willing to sacrifice my, my career because I thought that what the pandemic policies were, were so damaging and harmful to the poor, to the working class, to children. And I thought, and I figured, okay, is, is my career worth it? If that's, the cost of it and if i said no i'd rather have my career gone where I, where i speak out and try to stand up for these people many, most of them i don't know it, as an act of love and most and many people thought i was not good yeah that i was saying dangerous things even though for me it was an act of love out of a desire for the well-being of people i don't know kids that i don't know children uh, poor people who are starving because of the economic dislocation of the lockdowns i mean for me those were those were people i owed my uh my career to and even if it meant pe that other people would think i'm not good i had to do it i see what you did is good and i know many others do too and i'm glad that you came to that realization for yourself which is not an easy thing to do to sacrifice one's career and security to speak out against something that is inherently what they were doing. Consider like I consider it to be evil and wrong and unjust. So, I mean, if people consider you to be evil to, even though you are doing the right thing, the thing with common sense, it just goes to show you that they don't have common sense either. <laughs> it, it's going <laughs> well, out the window. I, mean, I, I, I don't want to, I, the thing is like, I'm supposed to, be, I'm supposed to forgive even my enemies. Right. So I'm the whole, I can't hold, I can't hold it like, against That's them. hard, Jay. That's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is not an easy walk, my friend, as you know. Um, uh, so it's just, it's, it's not, again, the purpose is not self glorification. The purpose is not even to be making me good at even in the, in the eyes of most. Mm. Um, the purpose is just to follow, uh, so that I, I can be, become more like him and be, why? Because that's our purpose. He made us in his image for a reason. And we, we the way we, we are, our, our sinful nature makes us so that we can't have that. And it's the reconciliation that creates that the, the possibility of having that. And it's just worth everything. I agree with you. Like I would much rather have Christ by my side than not have him there. 
because as I've discovered me doing things in my own strength doesn't turn out necessarily good <laughs> at all. It's more painful in fact, but having Christ by my side just gives me a lot more strength. And it's why I've got Isaiah 40, 31 and my Eagle uh, side by side talking about leaning on Christ and not using my own strength. Cause every time I do it, I get tired and I get weary and just weak because it's not an easy walk. I mean, there's so many things that I may not understand. There's a lot of, a lot of evil things out there in the world that just weighs me down. And I'm just trying as best I possibly can to be a good Christian, a good human being to love. But you're right. A lot of people may not see me as being a loving being and it's trying to come to the acceptance and, and go, well, you've chosen to see me that way. I can't change your mind or at least I can try to change your mind, but the likelihood of that happening is quite minuscule. <laughs> but at least I tried, Jay, at least I tried. <laughs> well, I don't, I mean, I think if let's say you live your life and um, you know, following really your purpose and the purpose is to love your neighbor as yourself, truly, truly, truly in a self-sacrificial way. And that sacrifice means that almost everyone around you believes that you're not good. Well, I still think you're like in the eyes of God, you're good. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's all, that's all that really matters. Like we're not, our, our purpose isn't to be popular in the eyes of other people. Our purpose is to love your neighbor, our neighbors. And our neighbors are taken very, very broadly to mean, you know, basically everyone, if you can, I mean, it's, you know, not, I don't mean this in an airy fairy, you know, let's hold hands and say kumbaya kind of way, but like, really love like what does that mean what does that mean what is this i mean and you know I, i'm very far from perfect i'm better at it with my family my own family than i'm with more more um, you know sort of people i don't know but i but i know i'm called to that yeah i feel like that is a, a great place to sort of end this conversation jay i know i've got to let you go i could again speak to you about these things for for ages but again, thank you so much for your time once more and, and for joining me on the Storybox podcast. Thank you, Jay. It was a pleasure to talk with you. You always, always ask the questions that people are not asking. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.